on the great chapters of the Bible, a series on the great chapters of the Bible. And so uh, we begin here in the very first chapter of all of the Bible, Genesis chapter number one. And I pray by the time that we uh, complete the message this morning, you'll understand why this is such a great chapter. And what exactly does that even mean, great chapters of the Bible? And, uh, and so again, we'll look together here in Genesis chapter number one. We do begin our vacation Bible school this morning, and so uh, we have a number of our folks that would maybe normally be in the service that are ministering in other parts of the building, and I want you to be praying that God would do a work in the hearts and lives of the children who participate. Uh, statistics tell us that if someone is going to be saved, I think there's an 80% or so likelihood that they'll be saved before the age of 12. Now think about that for a moment. Of all the people they're going to go to heaven and spend eternity with the Lord in the Father's house. The vast majority, more than, more than three-fourths of them, will be saved at an early age. And that's why we do something like Vacation Bible School. It's why we have children's ministries and try our best to have folks who can communicate gospel truth to these young students. And so you pray about that if you would. But for the rest of us, we're going to look here in Genesis chapter 1. I'm just going to read the very first verse, and so you can remain seated. But look what the Bible says in Genesis chapter number 1 and verse number 1. The Bible begins this way. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So we consider great chapters of the Bible. It's hard for me to imagine a series in which we deal with the great chapters of the Bible without including Genesis chapter Number one, now, this particular chapter deals with the story of creation. We begin this series by considering this thought that we understand that all of the Bible is inspired by God. And because it's inspired by God, the Bible tells us that it is indeed profitable unto us. We, we read of that in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. But, but you know as well as I do that there are some chapters that seem to resonate with all cultures and all generations. We must, of course, acknowledge that the Bible was not written as it appears to us on the page today. Now, don't get nervous. Don't think that I'm going to teach some new doctrine here. But I want you to understand that as you and I look at what we have in front of us today, this is not how it always appeared. What I mean by that is, is that uh, none of the writers of Scripture, that none of them divided their books or their writings according to chapters and verses as we find them in our Bibles today. In other words, Moses, the human author of the book of Genesis, did not sit down with his pen and write Genesis and then right underneath that write chapter 1 and then a little 1 next to that and, and, and then write, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. No, 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 they, they didn't write it that way. They would, have, they would have just sat down and begun to write as God inspired them without the chapter and verse divisions that are found there. These, of course, these chapter and verse divisions were later added um, to help with organization, uh, to help with re- and, and, and to help with readability. Uh, think about how challenging it would be for uh, for me to preach a message without the chapter and verse divisions here. Uh, probably for 25 or 30 minutes of the message, I'd be just about done. You'd still be trying to find where we're, where we're going and, and, and what, you know, what page is it on and where is it at on that page. And so you understand who the chapters and the verses, they, uh, they were, they were added to give our Bibles a little bit more structure as far as readability and organization 
is concerned. Though these chapter and verse divisions are not inspired or no, they're not part of the original writings, they do not affect the words of the Bible in any way. In other words, they don't affect what's written here. They just make it a little bit easier for us to read. And so though they were not done by the original writers, we, we believe that they're very practical and they're very, very helpful. Now we begin this series with Genesis 1 because it is so, it is such a foundational chapter in so many ways. Genesis 1 introduces us to God and, and it explains how all of this around us that we see on a regular basis, how it all came to be. It is a great chapter because it emphasizes some things about God that are so important. It emphasizes God's deity. It emphasizes his power. Uh, it emphasizes his wisdom in designing all that we see and enjoy today. And can I say that it's a great chapter because it also reveals the created order of all things. We know this chapter is great. And here's one of the reasons why we know it's a great chapter of the Bible. We know it's great because of the devil's attacks against it which are so prevalent in our world. Stop for a moment and think along these lines. Don't the attacks against Genesis 1, don't they reveal the importance of this chapter to man's worldview and understanding of God? And don't they reveal why the devil has worked so hard to destroy and belittle what is revealed here? In other words, if, if this chapter isn't of great importance, why is it? Why is it that in every public classroom, public school classroom in America, these, these concepts and the things that are taught here are openly derided and mocked and belittled in a very disparaging way? Why is that the case? If this is not of utmost importance to, uh, to our worldview and our understanding of God and, and just who we are, why, 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 would, the, why would the attacks not be, 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 so, be so severe against it since the beginning of time? Man has tried to determine how all of this around us came to be. Where did this world come from? How did the stars and the sun and the moon come to be? Where did man come from? Is there something or someone, uh, someone greater than us who set all of this in motion? And if so, if, if that's true, what is our responsibility to that something or that someone? Did God have anything to do with this? Does God even exist? Is he even real? These questions and many more like them have been asked now for thousands of years and I believe Genesis 1 clearly answers these commonly asked questions. Oh, those in lofty academic circles sneer at this passage dismissively, and they cannot fathom an intelligent person believing this. But let me remind you of a clear Bible principle. That Bible principle is found in Hebrews 11 and verse number 6, where God tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I think, I think Hebrews eleven six draws us all the way back to Genesis 1. Because Genesis 1 does not seek to establish the identity of God. No, Genesis 1 presupposes that you and I just simply believe that he is. The Bible simply just says, in the beginning God 
Doesn't tell us how God came to be or where God came from or how God achieved this lofty status. No, it just simply indicates there is a God and he is accountable and he is the one who designed all of these things that we see in our world. We must take God at his word, not just some of his words, but all of his words. Yes, even the passages that are mocked and ridiculed by the scoffers must be believed by God's people unless, unless, it is clear that God is speaking in a figurative or a, uh, a, a metaphorical sense. Genesis 1 is boldly given. And did you know that it is never retracted throughout the rest of Scripture? In fact, in fact, just the opposite is true. The rest of Scripture clearly supports and reaffirms what is taught and what is given here. I give, for example, Proverbs 16.4, where the Bible says, The Lord hath made all things for himself. Mark 13 and verse number 19, for in those days, Jesus is speaking, for in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be. John 1, 1 to 3, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Hebrews 1.10, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thine hands. No, no, Genesis 1 establishes God to be the creator, to be the giver of all of the things that we see and we enjoy in this world. And though the, though the scoffers dismiss what is found here, the Bible repeatedly affirms what is found in Genesis chapter number one, that God is the creator, that God is the designer of all things. It is not feasible or reasonable for a true believer to simply dismiss the truths found in this chapter. And as I've spent some time studying through Genesis chapter number one, I want to point out and I want to highlight why is this chapter so great what causes it to be in such a lofty place where where the vast majority of people have any understanding of the Bible they know Genesis 1 and they know what is taught there is it just because it's the first chapter that makes it so great no I'm sure that's part of it but I believe there's something much deeper something much greater here than just the fact that it's the first chapter what is taught here and why Is it so significant? Allow me to share three truths with you from this very first chapter of the book of Genesis that makes it one of the great chapters of the Bible. The first truth that I want to share with you is this. Number one is this. In the beginning, God already was. Genesis chapter 1 reveals for us that in the beginning, God already was. My feeble mind perhaps is somewhat maybe like yours. I don't want to presuppose that you have a feeble mind. I know I do. And so please don't take any offense at that. But my feeble mind struggles to grasp this concept. It just does. I'll just be very frank with you. Sometimes, sometimes I'll sit around and I'll start to try to think about, now wait a minute. How is it possible that God was never born and that he'll never die, that he was never created, that he has always been? And I just have to tell you, I don't have the answer for you but I do believe it. Oh, it's, it's, it's hard for me to process that in my mind because I look at everything and everything that I see has a, has, a, has a birth date and it has an expiration date, but God has none of those. 
The Bible proclaims of God that he is eternal. The Bible refers to God as the one that inhabiteth eternity, according to Isaiah 57, 15. The Bible calls him the everlasting God in Genesis 21, 33. It calls him the eternal God in Deuteronomy 33, 27. It calls him an everlasting king in Jeremiah 10, 10. And it refers to him as the king eternal immortal in 1 Timothy 1, 17. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. We could spend the rest of our time here talking about ways in which the Bible refers to God as being everlasting and being eternal. If in the beginning God was, then we must acknowledge these truths. Number one, we must acknowledge this. If in the beginning God was, we must acknowledge, number one, that he is superior to me. If in the beginning God already was, then I have to acknowledge he's different than me. And when I mean different than me, I mean he's greater than me, that he is superior to me. You see, I am just a number here on this earth in comparison to him. I thought about that verse where the Bible says that he inhabiteth eternity. And I thought, well, he's superior to me because I just inhabit a small little house in Parma Heights, Ohio. God in heaven above inhabiteth eternity. I pastor a, a decent sized congregation in Cleveland, Ohio, but God in heaven, he is the shepherd of all who call upon him and all who come unto him. I am susceptible as a human being to fear, sin, fatigue, sickness, worry, and anxiety, and even death. But the Bible proclaims of him in Isaiah 48, 28, that he fainteth not, neither is weary. I have a physical beginning. I was born 19th, 1979, and someday I will have a physical ending. I will die at some point, and so will you. However, he, according to Hebrews 7, 3, is without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. And if in the beginning God already was, then I must acknowledge that he is superior to me in every way. But if in the beginning God already was, then not only is he superior to me, but number two, I am indebted to him. Because God existed and was before anything else in his mind it was his act and his deed to determine to create all that now is. Therefore, every sunrise and every sunset is because of him. Every wave that crashes against the shore is due to his creative power and genius. Every creature that we marvel at because of its beauty or because of its design is thanks to him. Every snow-capped mountain, every starry night, every forest meadow, every peaceful stream, every roaring waterfall is because God designed and created it to be. Every breath I take is a gift from God who created all things, including me. Oh, you, you perhaps talk about the different places you like to visit and the different things that you like to see. Some of you, you're beach-type people, and you love to go to the shore and to just sit there for hours on end with your toes in the sand, reading a book and watching the, you know, the dolphins out in the, out in the distance and hoping to catch a, uh, catch a, a glimpse of maybe a, a, a whale of some sort. And, and, uh, and if you love that, you have God to thank. Others of you, you want no part of the beach, you'd prefer to be in the mountains, walking around, hiking, and trying to dodge bears and other things that might be out there. And that's sort of your thing. You love that. And if you enjoy that, that's something that has been a blessing to you. You have someone to thank as well. His name is God. 
Others of you, you like the snow and the cold. What is wrong with you? <laughs> but that's what you enjoy. That's something that is beautiful to you, a fresh fall and snow that is so pure and so clean. If that's something you enjoy, you are indebted to God because he created the snow that falls from heaven. Genesis 1.1 reveals that God, who was before anything that we see or know, decided to create everything that we see and know. This is the beginning of all things. He is the creator, and we are deeply indebted to him for all that we have and enjoy here on this earth. So you must understand Genesis 1.1, one of the great chapters of the Bible, because it reveals <clears throat> in the beginning, God already was. What a great God that we know and that we love and that we serve. But number two, can I say secondly, Genesis 1 reveals the truth that in the beginning God already was, but it also reveals the truth, number two, that God approved of his creation. That God approved of his creation. As we examine the six days of creation, we discover that God did what he did in a very organized, in a very meticulous way. I want to just briefly run through the various days with you so you have an idea of what was done on each day because it, it reveals some very specific things about God. On day number one, God created, according to Scripture, the heaven and the earth. He created light on that day, and he divided light from darkness, which resulted in days and nights. All of that was done on day number one, according to Genesis 1, verses 1 to 5. On day number two, God separated the waters of the earth from the waters in the heaven and called it the firmament. Now, the firmament is, a, is another word that means expanse. So the firmament is the expanse between the earth and space. So when we look up into the heavens and we see outer space, the area that we're walking around in the, 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 uh, the air that we breathe, that is the, that is the firmament, uh, that it sustains life. And God separated on, on day number two, He separated the earth, uh, down below from the, from the outer space that is up above us. And that expanse there is called the firmament. God did that on day number two, according to verses six through eight. On day number three, God separated water from dry land and He called the dry land earth and the waters he called seas and he ordered the earth to bring forth grass herbs and trees you see god god was preparing for some things on day number three just as he was preparing for some things on day one and two and every subsequent day after of, of creation god was preparing this earth for some things and so he separated water from dry land you see he was going to create some creatures that couldn't live life in the water, and he was going to create some creatures that would need dry land. He was also going to create some creatures that could not live on dry land. They were going to need water. And so God was making provision for all of those things. That's day three, according to verses nine to, tw verses nine to 12. On day number four, God created the greater light, known as the sun, to rule the day, and the lesser light, known as the moon and the stars, to rule the night, according to verses 14 to 18. On day number five, God created the sea creatures and the fowls of the heaven or the flying things. And he placed the sea creatures in the sea that he had already created. And he placed the flying things in the, that firmament that we talked about for them to be able to fly around on and to do what it is that they do. On day number six, God created land creatures. He created cattle and creeping things and beasts. And then he created man in his own image and likeness, according to verses 20 to 27. And on day number seven, he rested from all of his labors and all of his creating, according to chapter two, 
verses 1 to 3. That, that's it, one week. God did it all in one week, further revealing his infinite power and majesty and glory to do all of these things that we, that we enjoy and that we know and that we experience, to do it all in one 168-hour period of time. God approved of his creation. Why? Why did he approve of his creation? Well, because, number one, it was orderly. God approved of his creation because it was orderly. You see, you see God did not start by creating man. He started by creating the things that man would need to live abundantly blessed here on this earth. If you're anything like me, you'll sometimes get something that needs to be put together. And you'll think, well, you know, this, I, I bet I need this piece first. And if you're anything like me, you'll come to find out, no, that's probably the piece you needed last. God, God doesn't create like that. God doesn't, God doesn't say, oh, I, I can't wait to get to man. I mean, that's what I'm doing all of this for. So let me just create, no, 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 God, God, things were orderly. God said, what's man going to need in order to live? What's man going to need in order to survive? What's man going to need in order to enjoy this life and this earth? He did not start by creating fish before he had given them a place to swim. He did not create birds without giving them a defined place to fly. He did not create beasts or land creatures before giving them a place to graze and even giving them something to graze upon. No, no, each day was preparing for what was to come and the days to come. The, the work of creation, because it was a work of an infinitely powerful and wise God, because of that, it was an orderly work. The Bible talks about our God, that he desires order, that he is not the God of chaos and confusion. No, he is a God of order, and we see that all the way back in Genesis chapter number one. It was... Approved by God because it was orderly. It was approved by God, number two, because it was functional. Man was introduced last to a fully functioning earth. He was given water to drink, air to breathe, fruit to eat, animals to enjoy, and ultimately a partner to live with and a place to live. The partner being this woman by the name of Eve. The place to live being this place known as the Garden of Eden. Man was given responsibility. He was to be fruitful and multiply. He was to have dominion over the fish and over the fowl and over cattle. And he was to dress this garden that God had placed him in. And he was to keep it. Everything worked. Listen, everything worked according to God's plan. And everything God created for a specific purpose. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, everything doesn't work today like it worked back then. And we're going to get to that in a moment because you're exactly right. This creation that was fully functioning when God placed Adam there in the garden is no longer, listen, is no longer fully functioning as God intended for it to function. We'll discuss why that is in just a moment. But we see that God approved of his creation because it was orderly, because it was functional. But notice, thirdly, God approved of his creation because it was good. Did you look in verse number four? The Bible says, And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Would you look in verse number 10? And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas, and God saw that it was good. Verse 12, And the earth brought forth grass and herb, yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse number 18, the Bible says there, and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. 
Verse number 21, the Bible says, And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And there it is again, and God saw that it was good. Verse number 25, the Bible says there, And God made the beasts of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. It doesn't end there. No, at the end of day number six, when everything was complete, God declared it to be very good, according to verse number 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. I do believe that Eve was created on day number six. I believe that because in Genesis chapter number two, we find, uh, we find a glimpse of th- some things that were going on. And when God created Adam, he placed him in that garden, and God looked at Adam being alone, and what did God say? The Bible says it said that it was not good that the man should be alone. Oh, there was only one thing in all of creation that was not good, and That's no problem for God. He's more than capable of rectifying that one thing that was not good. By the way, I don't think God made a mistake there. I don't think that God was disorganized there. I think what God was doing, God was creating a longing in the heart of of Adam for a companion. Uh, He was revealing a need that Adam had that only Eve would be able to fulfill and fill in his life. And and so the Bible reveals that God, of course, put Adam to sleep. He removed the rib. I, I, I would say that was the only surgery, that was the only surgery God ever performed. And it was the only surgery in which there was no rehab that was necessary afterwards. Adam came out of his sleep and he woke up and there stood this beautiful woman that God had created specifically for him. And God comes the end of day number six and the Bible says that his assessment of all that he had made and all that he had created was that it was very good. But that, which is not good today, is all around us, right? Not only is this earth not functioning the way that it was designed to be function. But we look around us and we see plenty in our world that is not good. But I must tell you that it was not this way in the beginning. And can I say that that which is not good today is due to the presence of the enemy. And it's due to the fact that man at a point in time yielded to the temptation that was offered by the enemy. The curse of sin, we read of it in Genesis chapter number three, the curse of sin prevails over all things and is greatly distorted and marred what God created. But I want you to know in the beginning, before the curse of sin, God's creation, listen, the word very, very describing good in Genesis 1.31, that, that word very, it means vehemently, it means holy, it means exceptional, exceedingly it means good very good holy good exceedingly good it was the best that 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 could possibly have been provided according to scripture that was that was the earth that was man that was this world after god's creation and as god looked and beheld all that he'd created at the end of every day he said this is good at the end of it all he said this is very good and it likely still would have been very good had it not been for the events that transpire in Genesis chapter number three when man disobeyed God. And may God drive this truth deep home into our hearts that everything, listen, everything that we have in this world and this life that is good is because of him and because of obedience to him. And everything, listen, everything that you and I deal with that is not good is because of disobedience and because of the curse of sin 
because of our disregard of God and this blessed book that he has given to us. The third truth that we learn helps us understand that Genesis 1 is one of the great chapters of the Bible. Not only in the beginning God already was, and not only that God approved of his creation, but notice number three, final point, man is the crown jewel of God's creative genius. I believe that for a couple of reasons. Number one, I believe that because he was created last. I believe that because he was created last. As we've already established, God was not experimenting until he got to the creation of man. It wasn't like he was trying this and trying that. Let's just see how this works. Let's just kind of throw this out there. And I wonder what it'd be like if we put a big flaming sun in the sky. I wonder how that would work. Let's just see what this is all about. And, and let's toy around here. We've tried, we've tried fresh water. Let's try a little bit of salt water. No, no, no. God, wasn't, God was not experimenting with creation. No, no. God was doing everything that he was doing for a reason and for a purpose. Understand that. Don't, don't miss that. And on day number six, the things that, that he was creating All of the things in days one through five were being created. Listen, were being created for what he was going to create on day number six. Those things, listen, those things were being created for man's use and man's enjoyment. You see, man's time on earth would not have been as fulfilling without these things. So God was careful to design and create them first before finally creating man so they were present when he arrived for him to enjoy. When a woman finds out that she's expecting a child, Oftentimes, the people that are close to her in her life will throw something that has come to be known as a shower, a shower. I remember being a little boy and hearing the term that my mom was going to a shower. I remember thinking, now that's weird. We have one right in the house. Why does she have to go to the church to go to a shower, you know? But you get the idea that at a shower, we're going to shower a woman with gifts. Uh, She is going to have a child. That child is going to need some pajamas to sleep in. That child is going to need some uh, some diapers to wear. That child is going to need some uh, you know some clothes to play around in. That child's going to need a crib to sleep in and a, and and some sheets and some pillows and some blankets and and uh, did I mention that child's going to need some diapers? Right, that child's going to need lots of diapers. And so people come together and they shower that mama with gifts. Why? Because a baby is coming. In some respects, in some respects, God was showering this earth with His care, with His provision. Why? Because a man was coming. God knew that man would need fruit to eat. God knew that man would need water to bathe himself in. God knew that man would need the grass to lay down in, trees to enjoy the shade of. God knew that man would need animals and and, and, and different things as he moved further in life for enjoyment, for recreation, for pleasure, eventually even for food. God knew that man was going to need all of these things. And so God, listen, God was putting all of these things in place. Why? Because the crown jewel of his creation was coming and God understood that man is going to need these things. You see, you see the shower, the shower is about the baby that's coming. The shower isn't about the sleepers. It's not about where the gifts were bought. No, the, the shower is about giving the gifts. Why? Because the child is coming. The child is going to need these things. God was creating everything that we see and that we know and that we enjoy. Why? Why? Because a, a man is coming and that man is going to need these things to live and to enjoy life. And so God was careful to design and create these things first. Understand, listen, these things were created for man. He was not created for these things. Notice, I believe that man is the crown jewel of 
God's creation, not only because he was created last, but number two, and finally, because he was created in God's image. I believe that's why man is the crown jewel of God. It's, it's, why, it's why God created man, and he said, I'm done. I'm done creating from here on out. I've created everything that needs to be created. Because he was created in God's image. Man is the only, is the only portion of God's creation that is created in his image. There might be some debate, debate over what exactly this means. I, I don't believe it means we look like God. You see, God is a spirit. No man, according to Scripture, has seen God at any time. I believe that this is a ref- reference to three specific likenesses between God and man. The first one is this. Number one is that man is a three-part being. Just as God is one who manifests himself in three ways. By the way, we, we see reference to that in this passage, don't we? Look in verse, verse, number, um, verse number 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air. If I, were, if I were to say that about myself, I would say it like this. Let me make man in my image and in my likeness. God didn't say it that way. Understand this, listen, we believe, in, we believe in a Bible that every word is inspired. Every word is important. Every word is significant. Therefore, when we see, we see the words our image, our like, let us, it's not a mistake. God, God didn't mess up there. That's not, a, that's not a mistranslation. No, that is a clear reference to God's trinity. The fact that he is one person who manifests himself in three ways, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, just as God is one who manifests himself in that way, so man is one who consists of three parts. You are body, you are soul, and you are spirit. Just as your body is seen and visible, so the Son of God was the manifested presence of God here on this earth for the 33 and a half years that he lived here. God the Father and God the Holy Spirit remain unseen just as your soul and spirit remain unseen. And yet, and yet, isn't it true that the evidence of these is clearly visible in this world? Oh, the unseen part of God the God the Father and God the Holy Spirit is clearly seen in this world. Just look around at creation. God did all of these things. And so, and so the unseen parts of you, your soul and spirit, are very clearly seen. So man is created in the image of God and that he is a three-part being. As God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you are body, soul, and spirit. But notice, secondly, not only are you created in God's image and that you're a three-part being, you're created in God's image and that you are given dominion. Man is given dominion. Just as God has dominion over all things, man is given dominion over some things. We read of that in our text. Man's dominion exists here on this earth as being over fish and fowl and land animals, beasts, creeping things, and cattle. God's dominion exists over all of creation, including over men. Listen, how you and I exercise the dominion we've been given is a matter of stewardship and accountability. And it is also, listen, it is also an earthly picture of our heavenly Father It is therefore imperative, listen, it is imperative that our dominion be exercised carefully and biblically. Thirdly, you are created in God's image in this way. Number three, you will live somewhere forever. You are created in God's image in that you will live somewhere forever. Job 14, in verse number 14, a compelling question is asked. I've used this question at many funerals that I've conducted. You see the question on the screen? If a man die, shall he live again? 
The Bible answer to this question is quite clear, isn't it? Man will die physically. You will. But he will live again. He will live somewhere forever. There are only two options according to Scripture. One option known as heaven. The other option known as hell or the lake of fire. Those who spend eternity in heaven are said to have eternal life. While those who spend eternity in the lake of fire or hell are said to have experienced the second death. Both destinations are eternal. You will live somewhere forever. Christ Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth and suffered and died to pay your sin debt and mine. And if we will simply believe on him, you can have everlasting life. And yet those who refuse to believe on the Son of God shall not see life, but instead they shall face the wrath of God for all of eternity. John three sixteen, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John three thirty six says this, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Listen, you will live somewhere forever, so will I. And in that way, and in that way, you were created in the image of God. The question is this, where will you spend eternity? Where will you spend it? I have no doubt that for the vast majority of people in this room, they're certain, they're certain that if their life were to draw to an end today, that if they were to breathe their last breath today, they know for sure that they would spend eternity in a place the Bible calls heaven. But I also have no doubt that there are some in this room that could not, could not say that with certainty. You're not certain, you're not sure. That if you were to draw your last breath today or if the trumpet were to sound, that you'd be caught up together to meet the Lord in the clouds, to be with him forever, there in the air. You don't know that for sure. It's not that you're not a good person. I mean, you're in church on Sunday morning. It's just that you're not certain that you've ever placed all of your faith and all of your trust in Jesus. Oh, you may be trusting in the fact that you're in church or that you're a law-abiding citizen or that you have a good job or that you're still married to your first spouse. Any number of things that you might be confident in. But I want you to know something. Those things are nothing to be confident in. Jesus Christ is the only, is the only way, according to Scripture, to be saved, to be born again. And you will live somewhere forever. You have this opportunity between the birth of, your, of yourself and between the day that you'll die, you have this opportunity to enter into a relationship with the Lord. I pray that you will. Genesis 1 is a great chapter, isn't it? it it's great because it teaches these truths that God is the creator of all things. That his creation was good before being distorted and disturbed by sin and wickedness. It's great because it reveals man to be a unique image bearer of God. He has a purpose here on this earth and he will spend eternity somewhere. Do you understand that what we talked about a minute ago here as we honor this dear couple, a lot of those, lot of those issues would be, would be addressed and we wouldn't even have to have public debates about those things if we simply believed Genesis 1. If we certainly, simply understood, wait a minute, wait a minute, God is the giver of life and he is the only one. He is the only one who can take life. We leave that in God's hands. We allow God to do his work no matter what. This isn't about forcing anyone's religion on somebody. This is about just simply, listen, just simply living life according to what God has designed and how God has created all things. Our heads are bowed.